Goodbye, Dinah. Hey there. How are we doing tonight? <laughs> um, are you frantically searching your phone for song lyrics yeah, right now? Yeah, I, I forget what we're talking about. All right. Um, well, episode three of Hello, Goodbye, Dinah. Uh-huh. Welcome to my living room. Welcome to my house. We're not shoved in the closet because I got a better microphone. I'm hoping that we'll be able to utilize outside of the walk-in closet. Mm. All right, so tonight we're kind of going to recap real quick. We have had episode one where we went through a just a brief one-hour synopsis of your historical data as a musician. Brief. Brief. <clears throat> and then episode two, we went over your very first album and what brought it into fruition, right? Mm-hmm. So give me a little rundown here. Uh, we wrapped up episode two with you finishing up your album and what time frame is that? What year? That was 2002. 2002. I, I wrote a song a week every Sunday from looks like the end of April culminating at late March. In what year? <clears throat> 2002 to this June. This was 2002. To June 2nd. So this is okay. pretty much spring that was in one season. That was like mm-hmm. a, a bunch of songs. You were saying earlier this was in like two EPs? Well, no, that was Man Overboard. Oh, I'm so confused now. And I had to lead into that because I didn't stop. Um, I kept doing it once a week, pretty much through. Let's see, July. Um, I think I started to slow down around August and September, and then it was like one a month, and like. October. I didn't even do one in October, November and December, and I think that would it would be the end on that one. Okay. Technically, um, so it's all the second album is called Polly Wally Doodle, which I didn't actually come up with the name until much later, because um, it's not really. I never counted this as an album. Um, this would probably be the last thing to be released because. You know, I had kind of done my thing with Man Overboard, and this was just a little bit kind of the same kind of stuff. But looking back, it's it's pretty cool. It's 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 like a continue. It's like Man Overboard Part Two. Think of it like Halloween Two is is like the same night as Halloween One. So it's like the same year. So it's kind of a continuation of where I was in my life. So now, why did you complete? Man overboard and say this is finished and this is something new. Why? Uh, well, because I think when I re- went to record uh, Man Overboard, it was probably around that time. I recorded as many as I could that vacation that I was in mm-hmm. uh, Pleasanton in the Bay Area, and so that that became one album. And then and I pushed that for a while, and then these other songs just kind of weren't on that album so gotcha. so, so you they had the opportunity to record and then the songs kept flowing afterwards sure that were just a continuation so like when i when um i recruited band members to play live some of these songs um we actually did rehearse that, were, that are on poly wally doodle we can talk about these kind of one at a time it's, it's not too many songs i think it's 
a total of 10 songs. And it does kind of get weird <laughs> near the end. I mean, which usually right. happens near the end of a, a writing session when I'm like doing one a week. And this is since I was doing it from March. Like by the end of the summer, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel creatively. So you're you're really reaching for some weird stuff. Yeah, because you're doing a song a week that's kind of like pushing. Mm-hmm. Where it it starts out pretty inspired, and then it gets kind of weird, and, and it starts to feel forced some sometimes. Which some of these definitely, uh, like one in particular, definitely wasn't finished, and I never recorded it. I think I recorded everything else though. Like nine of these songs were recorded, but it it includes like there's a rap song on here about nine eleven. Um, it was and there's a Christmas song, the first Christmas song I wrote. There's a song about you know one of my friends who died, committed suicide. It's it's pretty deep. There's like a early 60s rock and roll type song about being over a, a relationship, that kind of thing, even though I wasn't in a relationship at the time. I was still kind of very much a loner. There's, of course, an obligatory reggae song that I felt like I had to put on every album. <laughs> I mean, there's like a country song. It's, this one's really eclectic. Very eclectic. There's like a super fast punk uh, Serb song. So it gets it gets weird, folks. <laughs> uh, maybe someday you'll be lucky enough to hear this, but the demos are really kind of probably the worst demos I ever did. That was when I still was still getting my footing with uh, learning how to record these. So you ha- recorded "Man Overboard" with equipment at your sister's place. How did you record this? So these I didn't really record until I had my own recording equipment, probably around two thousand seven. Okay. I was getting married in 2007, and my new father-in-law, as a wedding present, he got me a, a digital four-track. Um, and there's there's kind of a story there, but we'll we'll get to that. I think we should kind of go chronological. <laughs> that's that's uh, that, that would okay. probably be the the best way to do this, so we don't get all turned into an ADD nightmare. <laughs> that's how I live. The whole I know, world. I know. Everyone enjoys that. <laughs> so. If we look at the way that Man Overboard ended, it ended with Too Many People, which hilariously enough is the same name as a, as a Paul McCartney song. I didn't realize that until like actually last year. Uh, near the end of uh, Man Overboard, I, I think it was like in April of 2002, I, me and my family actually went to Las Vegas to see Paul McCartney. So I kind of got a, super obsessed with like his solo songs. So a lot of those songs were very, very influenced by by those songs. Too many people being another one, it, like the chord progression, all that stuff. It was very much. It had like a, a run that was straight out of uh, maybe I'm amazed, the chromatic run. But you know, I liked to throwing that stuff in there, and it it felt kind of like it fit the song, so I didn't care. Um, so anyway, yeah, Too Many People was written on June 2nd, 2002, and that was the last one on Man Overboard. So Cold Stranger, which is the song that kicks off Polly Wally Doodle, was, record- uh, was written on June 9th. So immediately after, this song is, this is the, the fast kind of punk surfy song. More kind of like in the style that I used to write in uh, Thought Police. Uh, which was kind of more more punky stuff, kind of 
more melodic chordy stuff, more kind of more impressive guitar work, focusing more on on that aspect of it. And the lyrics ended up kind of being how I remembered living in Seattle because when I I went to college at uh, the Art Institute of Seattle um, from fall to 99 to the spring of 2000. I lived downtown in like one of the worst districts and we would see like crackheads and people running down the street with machine guns and like 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 black vans coming up and just kidnapping people off the street like it was just like it was the worst part of town to live in and it it just like i lived there during the wto riots which was very exciting and and a life-changing event but i mean we like lived in the protest zone and so there was like a curfew every night and it was it was just an exciting time to live remember people telling me that they saw me on the news all like internationally all the time like where there were battles with between the protesters and the riot police like, were and things you like that down in the protest or was it like in your apartment someone I mean, saw a video of you in your window no I, I would you know there was nothing else school was closed because we couldn't we weren't even allowed to walk to school there was nothing else to do but to go down to the protests wherever they were and and you couldn't not hear them. They would they would be coming by the apartment building. So you know there was nothing else to do. So it was probably the it was more I, I got more experience during that than I did in, at any of the college courses. <laughs> I went for uh, audio production and and I I kind of I dropped out after six months because I realized that a degree in audio production wouldn't really get me anything. And I uh, ended up quitting to come back to Bend to rejoin Thought Police and become a five-piece. And I used the money that uh, I think my grandma had given me like $20,000 for college. And I think I had spent 10000 of it. So I took the rest of it and bought a Subaru and uh, Ibanez seven-string guitar and like a wireless system for it. And the rest of the money I, I spent sending us out on tour. Money well spent. Which was like kind of a silly tour like we ended up like going to great america and like funny story there we <laughs> there was there's a ride called the demon and we there was a part where after the first loop it takes your picture mm-hmm. and we we went on it over and over and over again so that we could all get in one picture where we're all flipping off the camera at the same time <laughs> do you have this photo you know i jared might have it i'll have okay. to ask him i would like to see this. um yeah me too uh, that's a good one <laughs> So, anyway, Cold Stranger was about my experience living in Seattle and just the feeling of, you know, being a small town boy, all of a sudden being thrown into the mix of living in the, in the big city and how, like, lonely that makes you feel. Like, a, like, one of the lyrics is talking about being a needle in a haystack and you think that your life is pointless, you know, but it's, it's like, kind of a hopeful song that's, like, kind of telling me to, to live life regardless of that and try to push through and break the mold and all that stuff so it was kind of like a message to myself that or or maybe to other people that are feeling the same way to uh, get over it i guess and try to you know make the best of it so that's that song that's uh that's probably one of my favorite songs on that album the one that i'm most proud of and least embarrassed to show people <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm doing all the talking here. Do you have any questions? No, no. You you took charge of the direction. I'm gonna drink, gonna take a drink. And you're gonna talk. go like line by line through each song. We didn't do that last time. I know because I'm I'm desperate now. Why? 
Because I had like Man Overboard, I was like totally prepared for it because I, I spent so much time on it. This this is the one I'm most worried about because I we're already like twenty minutes. You're we're fine. twenty minutes in. I've, I've talked about one one song. I know. Okay, okay. So the next song that was written on June fifteenth. Oh my god. <laughs> um, that was called Confined, and that's kind of like it starts out like a country song, but then uh, it it. By the time it gets to the bridge, it really shows off how obsessed I was with Radiohead <laughs> at the time, which I have to give props to my sister Courtney. Um, she got you into Radiohead. I think, yeah, it was it was around the time that I uh, I think I was homesick, living in Seattle, and she had made me she had given me like two full CD books full of burned burned CDs Aww. of albums that I had never even heard. At that time, I was into like some like old school punk rock. Like my favorite bands when I had had uh, gone to Seattle were like Dead Kennedys and No Means No, Reverend Horton Heat. I remember coming back from Seattle I, while I was in Seattle. I had a revelation that the Beatles were the best thing ever. I think I heard the song. It was, it was funny because little sidebar: living in Seattle, everyone up there were in two groups. Of what music they listened to. And there was no in-between. Either everybody was a total metalhead, or and everyone else was complete fish heads. Uh, I know. It was, uh, it, yeah, I know. So I spent so much time, you know, in pe- people's dorm rooms, smoking pot out of weird gravity bongs and th- things like that, that uh, art institute students would make. <laughs> and... Listening to like fish bootleg recordings of like live shows and stuff, and I, I remember being fairly unimpressed until I heard like there there was some Halloween shows that they did that there did some like really dark jams and like I'd never heard a jam band like go weird and spooky and go dark and okay. like really dissonant. That would be the one thing that could intrigue me. Yeah. about fish. Me too, and and I think that's when I really kind of was like, what? That's, that's weird. So I, I, I dug a little deeper and I listened to like, they would do a thing where on Halloween, like they would cover the whole dark side of the moon album or something like that, which is at that point, I didn't know Pink Floyd mm-hmm. at all. And, or they covered a whole talking heads album. The one that really got me though, was when they covered the whole Beatles wide album. And I was listening to that, and it was actually when they covered the song Mother Nature's Son. I heard that, and there was something about that song that like brought me back to my childhood. I, I remembered like listening to that when I was a kid on vinyl and flipping the rec- having to flip that record like 15 fucking times because it's like such a long record. It's like four or five discs. Mm-hmm. But that song really stuck out to me, and, uh, and it felt like, wow, this is like the most connection to my childhood I've ever felt. And it made me ultra homesick. And I dug out, like I had the blue greatest hits of uh, the Beatles. That was like 67 to 69 or 70. And so it was the later stuff. And I remember putting that on and just listening to that nonstop. So that was kind of a revelation for me that changed the course of the music I listened to. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I, I dropped out of college and came home and moved in with my parents and I remember uh, being jobless and, and like kind of aimless. And I would put, I had these CD books that my sister had made me. And I just remember like 
the first time I put in, I, I was like, I saw these Radiohead albums, and that, so so I just put in, put them in one at a time, and I think I started with the Benz. Uh, I remember the first track just like totally sucked me in because it was very Beatles esque, but like even more psychedelic. So it kind of I, I got really obsessed with Radiohead and um, Pink Floyd at that time. Um, the Wall really drew me in after seeing the movie and then I got into dark side of the moon and all that, but like, okay, computer. If you remember from the last episode, we were doing a lot of mushrooms <laughs> in that time and experimenting with LSD and things like that. So like Radiohead and Pink Floyd and Beatles were like right up my alley. And also a lot of floater floater was a big influence on me at that time too. Like albums like glyph and angels in the flesh Burning Sosobra, those three especially. They seem to be a big influence on a lot of musicians in the Northwest. Yeah, I mean, to me, those albums are like Pink Floyd meet Pantera, um, which Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends at that time were like total metalheads. So Floater was like a perfect blend of that heavy metal vibe and the psychedelic. So I, I was really intrigued by that mixture so anyway, uh, the song off of OK Computer that really influenced this song was Paranoid Android. If you remember the bridge to that, though, rain down, rain down, come on, rain. Well, that, that endless chord progression that happens. I was basically try- <clears throat> trying to recreate that um, on this song in, in a way. Like still not the same chords, but like the same idea. So Are you gonna play this first later? Uh, not that one. What? <laughs> maybe maybe we can include a clip. You're like hyping this song. You up. know what? Here here's a little clip of of the bridge. Are you gonna can, can, I'm, I'm, guitar? No anything? no. I'm, we're I, we're gonna. I have these songs recorded, and I will. God damn it. I will take a specific. You're gonna hear it in just a second. I want I'll, you to play live. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the clip in so you can hear all the the textures and everything. <sighs> I will play Cold Stranger live at the end of the show. So, okay. Yay. So that one's fun. I apologize. My voice uh, isn't what it... It's not normal right now. Uh, both of us are uh, recovering COVID. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> <clears throat> no one I'm will like, know that it's been like a month since our last episode since we just released it because yeah, COVID. We had COVID. Yes. And I, I, you know, other crazy things. I was in a car wreck. I was hit by a drunk driver. My car flipped and recovering from that as Totaled well. Totaled it. Totaled my car. So I'm dealing with some shit right now. Um, so, yeah. So I'm going to take Here a drink are. and let you talk. Cheers. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I got nothing to say. I, I, I want to hear about your, your song. Okay. And- so, yeah. Like I said, we're. I'm, I'm going to set it up. This song's called Confined, and we're not going to listen to the whole thing. Here's the bridge that sounds like Paranoid Android. Okay. Thank you. 
we're back. So, as you can see, it was like a total ripoff. <laughs> um, moving on, June twenty second. <laughs> How many songs do we have? This is has, is ten songs, and it, it gets faster. Um, right. This song, uh, I won't spend too much time on this song. This was uh, called "My Disease." This was the obligatory reggae song. Um, that's like I was trying to basically make a sublime song that was like reggae and ska and punk rock at the end, and it's basically it's just talking about how my disease is, you know, my addiction to the sun, basically, and being outside and having a good time. That that's kind of what it's about. I recorded it later with uh, on the first subliminal album that we did, uh, and it's probably it was probably the biggest hit that we had um it was always a hit live i think there's a pretty cool youtube video of us playing it at astro lounge um everyone was super receptive to it um that's the one that i i heard on the local radio station a lot on the on the highway 97 show i would just hear it randomly so that that's a cool one i'm, I'm pretty proud of that one at the time i was super embarrassed because i was trying to write heavy heavy shit and this was like super light compared <laughs> so yeah my disease showing some uh diversity there so it, yeah if you can i'm sure you know there's some youtube stuff out there that you can look up if you look up subliminal my disease um you might be if you're lucky you might even be able to find the actual track that we recorded for the album moving on um this is where i um started to try to get more like floater-esque pink floyd-esque like maybe like metal the, the Pink Floyd album, Metal. This is called Sheep's Clothing. This was kind of an interlude of a song. Wrote it on July 1st. Uh, it was only three verses, no chorus. I remember doing it um, on the last Goodbye Dinah show um, that we had. The one where I drank a bunch of whiskey and uh, was got super depressed. Sheep's Clothing was an interlude to a song called On Your Own, which was my the next week, July 7th. On Your Own is very much a my take of trying to do Floater. And particularly the song All the Stories But One off of Glyph. I love that song. That was, that's still probably one of my favorite songs of Floaters. You're going to have to play all these songs for me later. And yeah. I, I want to hear the, the parallels. I know. And we'll have to have links up to all this stuff so people <laughs> can hear it for themselves. On Your Own is basically, <laughs> I'm telling myself... That I don't need to be alone anymore. That like I should probably spend some time trying to like find a mate, <laughs> <laughs> and and that I don't want to live my life alone. And and you know, the, I was getting kind of a uh, lonely and desperate that that I I wasn't like connecting with anyone because I had I was just writing songs and and, re and rehearsing them for months and months and months. I I didn't really hang out a lot with people. That's what kind of happens when you're a songwriter. You just kind of become a hermit. Because that's the only way you have to spend all this time. Like It's like sitting on eggs, you know? It's like you have to... Is there a lot of anxiety involved? Like Oh, for sure. Giving uh, yourself deadlines? and. Oh, yeah. But that's what I... That was like my purpose in life at that time. Around this time, like my friend had started a music label. And they, and I was, they signed me as their first artist. And they convinced me to go get vocal training. So, All right. what was the music label? 
AWOL Records. AWOL. And where did you get vocal training? I got vocal training from... So, Mike Larson, uh, he was my he was the bass player for uh, Thought Police and the bass player for Goodbye Dinah at first. Um, he was my best friend at the moment. I think, um, I think at that time our job was... I worked with him shipping fountains... Like we people, rich people would buy fountains, and we would go deliver them and, and install like lo- them locally. Yeah, okay. like or like go out to Tumalo and like you know going out to all these rich estates. This is the first I'm hearing of this. Yeah. Job. Oh yeah, it was Very. a shitty job. It was a lot of heavy work. <laughs> but um, so we were just spending a lot of time with each other, and then coming home and, and working on music, and and a girl named Denise. Um, Ka Jacobs. I yep. know her. Yeah, a lot of people know her. She oh, yeah, was, she's. She was. Uh, she's uh, like you. She's just known. She was a woman about town. Um, she was. Everybody knew her, she, especially in the music scene. They had. They were the owners of the label, and they convinced me to to contact a guy who worked at Ranch Records. He taught vocal lessons. He he was a. I think I believe he's the guitar player for the Substitutes. And he lived in Redmond, so I would meet him at Ranch Records, and I'd follow him out to Redmond to his house. And doesn't uh, sound sketchy at all. Yeah, and he was trained by the same guy who taught Ann Wilson from Heart how to sing. So that was pretty cool. I didn't. I, I did it for like probably nine lessons. Uh, enough, and I still do those exercises to, to this day when I can. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was definitely a game changer. I, I felt like I couldn't really sing before that. At least, like, hit notes on purpose. So you definitely gained confidence as well as the experience and tools. Yeah. So th- that was all kind of going on at this time while being a hermit. <laughs> it uh, doesn't sound very, like, hermit-like. Doesn't it, though? Voice lessons and, like, yeah. I, my whole life was all about pursuing this and, and trying to just write songs and... and make make them good i mean i had friends that i hung out with for sure but i didn't feel like any of them were really doing what i was doing yeah i felt like i was kind of alone there like i would i would get done finishing songs or us a, a new song of the week and then i would like go and try to like find people to ha- hang out with there was a house on cleveland that everyone ha- hung out out at and that i would go to and just uh, my whole purpose was to smoke cigarettes and show them my song <laughs> and drink beer, and because everyone would just smoke cigarettes outside, and, and I would just like try to show them this. In fact, the at that house is where I came up with the idea for the next song. This this song is called uh, "Put a Fork in Me" because I'm done. Um, written on July 14th that summer, uh, I remember be- hanging out at this house, and I, I was just observing one of my friends trying to like get in with this girl that was like not having it and she was just like being really frustrating and and like leading him on and then like nope and it was just kind of hilarious to watch and he was getting very frustrated and and it just kind of spurred this song on i was trying to write a song like through what he was probably feeling at the time i mean this song totally comes off as something like a pissed off song like that, that sounds like i'm trying to get into a relationship or something but this song is kind of like mean spirited, <laughs> but it's like you know when you're fed up with someone's crap and and you're you're just done. And it's totally in the style of like I saw her standing there by the Beatles, so like you know really fun, energetic, like 
happy rock and roll. <laughs> Something you can really dance to. But, like, and it's, like, empowering, like, uh, you know, being done. <laughs> and, like, a realization that, you know, I don't need to be pursuing this anymore. So, bye. And you keep making Beatle references, and it took me, like, so long to figure out the song that you just referenced. And I only was able to make that connection because I know you and I've gone to your shows. You know, the song that starts out with when she was just 17. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no one seems to see any, any, uh, they, they just get, they get a pass because it's Paul McCartney. It's, it's legal in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the next song was another definite... Oh, this is the first one where I—it's fun. I—I I just realized this. So I—I I, I wrote "Put a Fork in Me" on July fourteenth, and that was the end of that line. I was writing, so I wrote from all the way from late March all the way to July fourteenth, one a week, and then I took a break. So, mm-hmm. funnily enough, "Put a Fork in Me" because I'm done was the <laughs> end of that that little era. All right. So the next song didn't happen until September. So what did you do in that time frame? Um, I don't remember. I, I was probably try at that point trying to put a band together, um, rehearsing instead of focusing because that's the way I work. I like I either I spend my time alone writing, and then that usually gets enough interest to where people want to play with me, and then I don't write during that era. That then I spend time trying to teach them the songs or trying to rehearse trying to like get get shows booked playing shows and things like that it's hard to do both at the same time around september i wrote a song called he'll never know which is really about it's hard for me to tell I, i believe it's about suicide and like someone realizing what the meaning of life is through that experience maybe it's through a failed suicide that they they realize that life is worth living kind of halfway through the attempt it's definitely very floater-esque uh, you know it's it's kind of slow and plodding my sister uh went to thailand sometime later and by the time i recorded this song she brought back a thailandish flute as a as a gift for me and you used it in the song i used it in the song and i don't know how to play a wind instrument that, that's totally beyond me so, you know, I just threw a bunch of delay on it and, and just, like, um, played some notes. And it's it's really horrible, but it's there. Um, <laughs> it exists. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a song that I think is kind of interesting. It's pretty <clears throat> slow and psychedelic and kind of gets heavy. So, yeah, kind of floater-esque. It's a mix of the heavy and the light. Next song was on September 11th, 2002. Um, so, which was the first anniversary mm-hmm. of 9-11. So that was kind of a big deal. This song is called Touch the Sky. This is the one that has never been recorded. I think out of all the songs I've ever written, all of them have some demo version. This has never been made into a demo. So how, what, what's the reasoning behind not making this into a demo? Because there's no music. This is all... Com- it's just a rap. It's a, it's a rap song that is like three pages long. It has eight verses. Are you going to rap for us? No. God damn. But I will tell you kind of the premise of the story. It's, there's three different people, and it's just taking you through uh, three different scenarios. Like, first person is called Juliet, 
And I, I think it's about a, a woman named Juliet who works on the 99th floor of the World Trade Center. And it just goes through her experience of being in the building when it's hit by the plane and the whole experience of like the firemen coming up and her trying to get out of the building. And then that verse ends with the building crumbling and her dying in, in the, the crumbling of the building. Mm-hmm. Um, the next part is, is about a character named Romeo. <laughs> so Romeo and Juliet. A Romeo is a firefighter who is going to work that day. And so, and it's just about him. Let me look. I'm looking at the lyrics. I haven't, I, this song is like so foreign to me. Yeah, it's just about him you know, running into the buildings trying to save people, and he's. It, it, I guess it ends at the same point with the with the building falling down. I mean, it, it's definitely a, a heavy heavy song. I'm kind of making light of it, but I was I was trying to like relive the moments through the these people, and then the uh, the last one was a, about a guy named Jim Lambert, fictional character. Um, who was on his way to Los Angeles on United 93. And he was part of the the group of people who helped bring the plane down before it could reach its target. And it's, it's a pretty long rap song. And it's I've never had the guts to really dive into that one and record it. So huh, maybe someday? We'll see. <laughs> I mean, this would be a good year. Uh, it's over because that was the what twentieth anniversary last already year last was, year. Yeah. That would have been a good year. But we're to do still it. in year twenty. Mm-hmm, yeah, I am. Fresh. I'm busy with other stuff. Maybe maybe <laughs> on the thirtieth anniversary. You do have some projects going on. <clears throat> yeah. So I mean, I, I will have in order for me to tackle that one, I will probably need to have nothing else to do and be like desperate. Like I need something to work on, and I'm I am incapable of writing new stuff. <laughs> And and I had that would be like the one unfinished song I would go to, try to do. But I don't know how to write music to a rap song. That's that's beyond me. So if any aspiring rap artists out there or or producers want to hit me up, <laughs> goodbye Dinah at gmail dot com. Yep, goodbye Dinah at gmail dot com. Um, it would probably take someone else being uh you know motivated to to get me motivated about it okay november 18th 2002 <clears throat> i had a friend named caleb I'm gonna, i gotta take a drink for caleb cheers to caleb caleb was the bass player of a and singer of a band called halogen when thought police was in their early days <clears throat> we were kind of we would all we would play shows together and we were really good friends with that band we would party with them all the time. Caleb was kind of a depressed person. And um, he uh, one day, he very sadly hung himself from a tree. Um, it had a huge impact on, on all of us in the music scene when it happened. I was really sad I wasn't able to make it to his funeral. And because I of that, my way of, of trying to commemorate him was to write this song called Caleb, which was kind of me just apologizing for not being there for him and, and trying to understand what he was going through and that kind of thing. And just kind of letting him know that he'll always like live in my heart and that kind of thing. Pretty heavy shit. This song ended up on the album 27 later on, which was the only song on that album that I didn't re-record. I just full on, full on just took the demo that I recorded the first time yeah. and just put it, slapped it on the album. Cause I, I didn't, it felt sacrilegious to redo it. And it's a really short one, too. It's kind of short and sweet. 
so that one, that's always been one I'm really proud of because I feel like it it keeps his memory alive in a way. It, it definitely had a lot of like direct emotion and meaning. Yeah. Okay. M- moving on from that sad, sad subject. The the last song on the record was called "Inner Child," written on December twenty fifth, two thousand two. <laughs> so cheesy. <laughs> um, just like when I was a kid, I woke up before far before everyone else on Christmas morning. This was probably like four thirty in the morning. <clears throat> me out in the living room waiting for everyone else to get up, and so I just grabbed the guitar and started writing this song about just christmas crap (laughs) just like there's no story to it it's just like naming things that have to do with christmas (laughs) (laughs) and i'm sure it works well oh yeah it's a classic for sure it's just like talking about snowflakes and and lights and candy canes and and stockings and and i'm just naming things around me (laughs) Um, and it totally works. And, you know, my, of course, my family members loved this song and made me play it over and over and over again. (laughs) And I ended up actually recording a Christmas album, like in the early, like 2010 or something. And that was definitely, uh, one that ended up on that. But I mean, even though the lyrics are super fucking cheesy. I was actually pretty happy with the the way the mu- it musically turned out. Like trying to write a Christmas song is not an easy task, and it does feel like it's something that will always get dredged up every Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so it's it it's kept alive that way. And you know, eventually I'll probably actually do a legitimate Christmas album, and I'll I'll do like a real version of this song. But you know, there. I think I think I was sick when I recorded it, and there's even like a, a solo area where there is no solo, and I, I just cough, I'm, <laughs> and I left it in just because it was like, eh, you know, it just it feels human. Um, yeah, uh, of course, there's lots of jingle bells and stuff all over it, so Polly Wally Doodle. That that's gonna be the song you get famous for. Yeah, so that was uh like late. Spring to uh, Christmas Day. It was Polly Wally Doodle. That was my... S- Goodbye Dinah's second album. Now, so through all of this feverish writing that you were doing, you were trying to build a band. You were trying to build Goodbye Dinah. Were you in other bands during this time? No. So during that time, that's all... And there was only like... It felt like... Three months, I think, total was I actually in a band with other people playing shows. That was probably in the moments when I wasn't writing much. I think it was like late August to October. And then I think it fell apart on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, it must have been November because Caleb, we, I remember working on Caleb for the last show. So it was probably like September to November. And then I remember it broke up pretty quick. I didn't have anything else going on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that kind of puts a nice little period on it. Yeah. Did you want me to actually play some, I, something? I really do. Oh, my God. So, I don't know if you guys noticed in the last episode, Andy made me overdub what he played live mm. with the recorded version of his song. He wouldn't let me publish the live version. But it also was terrible sounding and in my closet. So, hopefully this one will sound better. If not... You're just not going to hear any of this shit. I'm going to overdub it with the recording. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm going to, 
the problem in the last one was my guitar was over just blowing out the microphone so you couldn't well, hear me sing you were also singing to like the ceiling i think yeah so i'm gonna move this so i'm gonna try to face the guitar away from the microphone okay, so as i'm moving the microphone yeah closer as to you're the guitar. totally fucking it up stephanie <laughs> as i do oh my god Hey, isn't Stephanie doing a great job? I'm let's, doing let's her, so good. Let, let's smash that like button for <laughs> Stephanie, guys. Um, I, I wouldn't be doing this without her, so... Our kids are going to listen to this in 10 years and cringe. Oh, probably less than 10 years. We'll probably stumble upon it <laughs> very, very, very soon. Be like, Daddy, what's mushrooms? <laughs> um, okay, so going back to the first track, this one's called Cold Stranger. Um, this is the one I recorded about my uh, living in Seattle that is kind of uh, a surfy, punky song. Um, let's see if this is in tune. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Here we go. Right up on your tail But now the sun has come and gone And you struggle to exhale You're really, really tired And wish that you could go back to your home yeah. Living in the city Makes everything go black I know just how you feel right now Like a pin in a haystack You think that life is pointless Still you try to break free from your mold Little cold stranger Lifeless creature Just suppress your anger And start living it up, living it up, getting around Up off yourself, watch as you unfold. Now take your sense of freedom, realize who you are, and take control.
Holy shit. Uh, my, my throat felt so scratchy by the end of that. Sounded great. Oh, my God. Thanks, COVID. Thanks, COVID. Oh. So, okay. Um, Are we done yet? We're pretty... I mean, we've been recording for like an hour now. I, I was thinking this would be like 20 minutes back. Well, I think you were so concerned about this being short that you did something you haven't done before, and that's go line by line yeah. through all of your... Oh, next time it'll be really like I'll go lyric by lyric. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Stay tuned for the next episode, folks. <laughs> uh, well, so <clears throat> what is album number three? Oh, I have you, to look that you up. You have to look it up. Um, this that one's like your your first album was your firstborn, and you're very so like, dedicated to those songs. And then your this song you're like really nervous about because it's short. And the, the third album you don't even know. So, for instance, the the first two albums are very compressed. Like, like the first album was in within three months. The next album was like within nine months. The next album after that was like over years. So it was. Uh, and is that because it took longer to write the songs, or because you had more going on outside I, of you know, music? I, there was some scandalous shit happening. Okay, uh, I was getting into a relationship. Yeah, I was. I was in a, other bands. Um, Blame Amy was happening during all that. So this is like from two thousand three to two thousand seven. That's the album number three. Um, album number three was like during this all this stuff happening. Cool. Get, getting into basically getting into a relationship and. Up until being married and the whole Blame Amy experience. So I feel like the next episode is going to be reading like a soap opera? Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, that album, I weirdly titled it The Walrus and the Hot Air Balloon. The fuck? <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, I, but sure enough, that's what it's called and so it'll sit. That's what it is. I, I'm not gonna rename it. Oh, that would be sacrilegious. At this I point. even made some weird Photoshop album cover. Oh, of, of do you it. have it right now? Can I see it? Uh, no, no, those are it's buried somewhere. Okay, you need to unbury this, and I'm, we are gonna release this on Spotify. Yeah, um, you know, maybe when I get goodbydina.com up and running, I might might put it on there. Premium content. Yeah, we'll see. It's it's some truly embarrassing stuff, but also some stuff I was really proud of. I, I feel like for anyone who enjoys your current music, having like for me the joy of learning about a band or a musician is that backtracking and finding like their origin story totally. and their their hiccups and the the crap that they went through and the horrible album covers they made yeah <laughs> that's part of the joy of it how to me learning how to do photoshop by, by making <laughs> horrible horrible album covers thanks for listening okay. guys all right thanks for thanks for listening to hello goodbye dinah good night folks <laughs> bye <laughs>